So take your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter 12. We are on a journey and we're talking about the spiritual gifts. Uh, and before we do that, I want to share with you um, a little transition happening in the ministry that really has to do with giftings. And um, we got to dismiss the kids in a minute, but I see some of them going now, so that's okay. Um, yeah. Parents, just stay with your kids because right now I have the kids leader in here with me. Um, so our, our kids ministry is undergoing a transition. And uh, I want to invite Natasha and Amay, if you guys would come. Um, we're talking about spiritual gifts, and one of the gifts is uh, leadership, administration. Natasha Dickey, uh, the wife of Zach Dickey, they met on the mission field in Lynn about uh, 10 years or so ago. And um, Natasha's been an incredible part of our ministry, uh, as she and Zach, and she is the, the pretty side of Pastor Zach. We love him, but we're just glad that Natasha is here. Just kidding. I have to kid him because he's got a little more hair than me. A little more hair than me. Um, not much there. Not much. Um, Love you. They came in our ministry. It's, I can't believe it's been 10 years ago that you came in here, Zach, and then 11 now. See that? Um, and getting old, too. You're getting old, too. It happens, like it or not. Um, but Natasha, God has used you throughout different areas of ministry. Um, and most recently has just joined our staff as our church administrator. And so we're going to be talking actually about that gift this morning. Uh, Rachel Tuttle served for about 15 years as our uh, church secretary and office manager. And we're, we've made some changes. She's actually moved down to the school office right now. So we're switching people up in accordance with their gifts, their talents, their passions, their calling. And yours is moving over into the church administration, so we are thrilled to have you. Would you let her know that you're glad she's here? Because I am. She's awesome. And uh, there is no fraternizing amongst the staff, by the way. Just want to make that clear. Not, not, not in the office. <laughs> oh, sorry, Natasha. So, Natasha, you have served for the last couple of years um, in the kids' ministry. And with this new role... Uh, we've really felt it's important for you to turn that over. So there's a transition coming with this fine young lady here, Miss Samay Carter. So tell us what's happening. Sure. So um, I would say about six months ago, it was like October, I really felt like the Lord was stirring my heart and starting to lay that on my heart that there might need to be a change in, in kids ministry and what my role would look like. And I really wrestled with that with the Lord. I've done children's ministry for over half of my life. Um, my very first experience in kids ministry was when I was nine years old, um, working in the kindergarten classroom as a teacher's helper um, and kind of just grew up helping and volunteering in kids ministry, went off to college and, and kind of stayed with it. And so um, when I felt like the Lord was stirring my heart, I was like, God, are you sure about that? Because I've never really done anything else. Um, and so I just really prayed about that and, did, and kind of felt like that was stirring in my heart, but didn't have any open doors or any way to kind of move that along. Um, so just kind of waited on it and was just like, okay, God, if this is what you're asking, then yeah. we'll just wait on you for that direction. Um, and then a few weeks ago when we sat down to meet about the administrative position, um, that's when I kind of felt like the release from the Holy Spirit to say, okay, this is the next step. This is your next um, opportunity. And um, 
really felt like God had opened the door for me to pass it on to Miss Ame. Um, she's been a huge part of our kids' ministry for about five years. Um, she's been a volunteer in so many different roles, whether it was special events or decorating or um, everything in between. Um, she's been there. And then the last couple of years, she's really been like an assistant um, with like coordinating and planning and all of that stuff. Um, so I'm really excited that um, God has placed it on her heart to kind of step up into this into this role. Um, and so we're looking forward to that. But um, awesome. It's been a lot of prayer, yeah. and um, I'm thankful Excited. that God has like opened that door. But um, sure. we're looking forward to seeing what Miss May is going to do, um, leading our kids into the future awesome. of our ministry for sure. May, would you like to say anything? May, she, you know, like you said, she's been uh, a part of our team for five years at least. Been a part of this church for seven or eight years, uh, but really assisting, directing for the last couple of years. Uh, mother of five of her own kids. So I think you're prepared and ready. Maybe. Uh, so. Maybe, yeah. So May will be uh, on our staff. We, we kind of call people like May part-time uh, uh, volunteer slash staff, but she is uh, stipend staff, and she's going to be putting in hours during the week. We believe that kids are the most precious gift the church has, right? Are you guys awake? Yeah. Children are the most precious gift we have. So they need to be in good hands. We take very seriously, and we believe that God has not only called and anointed you, but for such time as this to lead our kids in May. And, uh, and you've got our support and our backing, but uh, thank you for accepting that no, role. Thank you. It's an, it's an honor, and it's not something I take lightly. So, and, mm. I, and I realize that I have very big shoes to fill. And, and, um, She's I got just, small feet. Yeah, You're fine. Well, You're I good. Mean, You're good. Come on. Everybody knows who they are, and they've done a wonderful, wonderful job with our kids' ministry. So I just am praying for the guidance to take it Amen. as far as they have and beyond. And just. And May also uh, serves on our board. Some of you may not realize, but she's one of our deacon board members. She's one of those quiet people. She says, I can't believe I've been a part of this church for so long, and people still don't know who I am. But this is May Carter and her family. I don't know where DJ, if he's with us today. Uh, no, DJ is actually in express care with our second oldest. She, oh, that's yeah, wonderful. Has, I think she has strep throat. So uh, there's, When you have that many kids, you're always in the hospital. They know us on a first name basis. That's not good. <laughs> um, but I seriously want to pray for May. She's... Um, God's person for the hour. So would you bow your head and stretch a hand towards them? Let's just pray for Ame and for Natasha. Lord, thank you uh, for raising people up to use their gifts for your glory. And I pray that your anointing would continue to rest upon Natasha in her new role. And Lord, for your continued favor, blessing, and anointing upon Ame as she leads our kids. Lord, give her wisdom and discernment and your favor. We pray over our children in this ministry and just pray a special covering of blessing and protection over each and every one of them and over all of our workers. Thank you for the many volunteers. And I pray, God, that you'd raise up even more to love on these children that you've entrusted to our care for this brief time on Sunday mornings. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. We appreciate you. What You have a luncheon today. It is a leader's luncheon, training luncheon. So obviously, volunteers, People to serve are always needed. Yes, and if you are interested in serving, you may join us definitely for our lunch and learn after church. Um, we would love lunch to and learn. Yes, Can I, is it? There's food there. Yeah. I'll be there. Okay, but I don't know how we're going <laughs> to have you volunteer anymore than you already do. Give them a hand one more time. Let so them know. Our kids can go now. Kids are dismissed. And if you are a parent of a seventh grader who is leaving oh, me, right. I would like up. you to join us out back too as we honor your kids. Stepping up Sunday. Thank you. Just give that to Pastor Zach, would you? Um, so our kids are, let, your ki let the kids know you love them too, because they're a pretty special group. So um, 
about four or five times a year, we do Family Sunday where we have all the kids in with us on Sunday um, for Family Sunday. And it's a great time of celebration. They are, they are what this church is all about, right? Raising up future generations. Uh, I see Evan back from, uh, to college. Evan, welcome back. I've got my good friend Mike and Chantel DiBiasio, one of our former graduates from Master's Commission GT. Welcome home, guys. Passing through. And so uh, we're a church that believes in pouring into a younger generation, right? We raise them up. We send them out. And hopefully someday they come back and continue to be a part of. Next week, Tyler's heading off to the mission field. Next Sunday will be your last Sunday, right? And uh, so stand up, turn around so they can see your pretty mug. This guy's awesome. I love him. Um, <clears throat> he's, uh, he's been a part of GT with Mike, and he's going to the mission field. Listen, next week we're doing like a, a baked goods thing, right? And Elizabeth's going to help bake things, I hope, really, and some other people, Yes. Listen, come and buy some baked goods to help support this young man. He's, uh, his program is not a cheap one, and it's only by the grace of God. But I want you to know that I'm proud of you. Jehovah Jireh is your provider. Uh, but Jehovah Jireh works through real people like me and you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he needs money. <laughs> Bless him. Come buy some baked goods. Let's help send him off well. So getting into our, our message this morning, we are on the motivational gifts. And these motivational gifts that we're talking about, or, or, or called the service gift in Romans chapter 12, are critical and they're vital for us as a church to understand. Because without you understanding and knowing your gift, you don't know where you fit into the body. But Romans tells us that we all have different gifts, but we function together for the good of the whole. So these are the seven motivational gifts found in Romans chapter 12. We've got the three that we've taught on so far. I did the gift of mercy, and Pastor Zach did the gift of uh, uh, serving, and I did another last week, the gift of exhortation or encouragement. And this morning we're going to talk about the gift of administration. They're all on the back of this sheet. We have all the sermons printed for you and out there. Many people have asked. We want you to take seriously this teaching because it's critical. What is it? For you to understand for the, the health and the well-being of the church. So please study this. I know it's not maybe as exciting as uh, teaching. Maybe people say, well, it's not as fiery as preaching. But listen, you need to know these things and understand them. And they're, they're so vital for this church to function healthy and to grow and to be the church that God wants us to be. So take your Bibles. We're going to be jumping around today. And we're talking about specifically um, the, the, the motivational gift of ruling. Now, I know that sounds like a, a dictatorial term, right? Like a dictator, he ruleth. But this is a King James term. So bear with me. Uh, in the King James Version, this is, what, this is the term that's used uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, and then it goes on, again, three through eight here, but we're just focusing on this. He that ruleth, let him do so with diligence. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the word today. Open our ears and our hearts to receive. I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to our hearts, God. Transform our hearts, our, our, our way of feeling, our emotions, our minds, our way of thinking. And I pray, God, that you would truly speak to each and every man and woman and young person in this place today in a way that only you can, specifically to where they're at. Lord, and I pray that we would motivated, we would be motivated to discover, to develop, and to deploy our gifts for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So the Greek word, and not that you care too much about all that fancy stuff, but it, what it means is basically it's broken down to one who stands before others or to rule or to preside over. Again, sounds kind of dictatorial, the ruler. And so we don't use that term very much in today's modern day vernacular, but the gift of ruling is specifically that special ability or gift given by God to certain members of his body to coordinate people, resources, and schedules to achieve the goals established by the leader under God. Let's say those last two words, under God, right? And so the leader under God. So there, there are two absolute necessities when we talk about this gift, and, and this is going to help hopefully get your mind wrapped around what leadership really should be and looks like in the real world. There are, and specifically, I'm going to be referring a lot to the gift in, in its function in the church today, even in my office a little bit today, but it's specifically in the church so the church can function as God intends for it to function. And there are lots of churches that don't function the way God intends them to function. Partly because people don't understand their gifts or they don't use their gifts. And I've said it many times. If you don't use your gift, you're in jeopardy of what? Losing your gift. If you don't use, lose it, use it, you lose it. Administration and leadership are two essential gifts that are needed for the church to function properly. Administration is translated from the Greek word helmsman. How many of you know what a helmsman is? has to do with water. Ed, you're a sailor. You understand the importance of a helmsman, right? Picture in your mind, if you will, the guy standing behind, you know, with those big wooden wheels with all the little spokes on. He's the helmsman. He's steering the ship. That's where this original word comes from. It's one who steers the ship, taking the direction from the captain who decides where we're going or from the owner. He or she is a facilitator, the one who moves the organization toward the goal set by the leader. The helmsman is the administrator. So it's really critical that we have those that can administer, right? Leadership. So I'm, I'm kind of pulling in these two different terms under the term that he that ruleth, administration and leadership, because both are really heads of areas. Pay attention, Bubba, because we're talking your love language today, right? Um, <laughs> Bubba said to me last week, I hope I can share this because he knows. All right. He, he said, PC, I'm batting 0 for 3 so far. We better do something because you've been through three gifts so far, and I ain't got none of them. <laughs> so this is, your, this is your day, my friend. He's definitely got this gift. Leadership corresponds to the captain's position, whereas the helmsman steers the ship the captain is the one who decides where the ship is going. Yeah. All right? The ship being the church, the organization, the business, the study group, whatever it might be. In fact, in our life groups, we, we really encourage uh, hosts and facilitators because they, they both have certain gifts that can function well for the good of the whole. The host kind of maybe being more the one who is the, 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 the helmsman. And the facilitator, really the captain. This is where we're going. So the leader must determine the goals and the direction that are before the church. Without these two gifts, leadership and administration coming together, these gifts have to come together, the church would have no direction. 
So again, I'm talking specifically a little bit about the church as an organization, but these things translate into the business world, into local communities, into, you know, you could be on a PTA in your school, whatever it might be. And some of you have been in organizations that have a great leader and they don't have a very good administrator. Think about it for a minute. You've been a part of those organizations, right? And you feel like, man, there's vision, there's this, there's that, but there's nobody to put the nuts and the bolts together of this thing. So I want you to remember out of the seven gifts that we've talked about, those gifts, mercy, teaching, prophecy, giving, exhortation, serving, and administration, each of you in this room have at least one. Most of you have multiple, more than one, one predominant one. So we're all kind of mutts though to some way, shape, or form, right? So tell the person next to you, you're blended. You have, a, you have some mixture in you, all right? So... So I have that gift of administration, leadership, one stronger than the other, but we need to come together and marry those two, leadership and administration. So we're talking a little bit about healthy churches as well as just outside of here, like I said. So a healthy church must have solid leadership for direction and solid administration for organization. How many organizers do we have? You love to organize things. Whether they be flow charge, organizational charge. This is, this is Kevin over here. The, the Kevin is like a, he's an org chart guy. All right, you've got to have that. Or the church will flounder like a ship without a rudder. So I'm going to give you some characteristic gifts of, of administration. And I love the book of Nehemiah. If you're a person who feels like you might have this gift, get into Nehemiah. Study the book. It's, it's a godsend on leadership. And again, not just leadership in the church, but outside the church. So here's some characteristics that, that uh, administration would have. An ability to visualize the final result of a major undertaking. Someone who says, yeah, I can see where they're going. So ne Nehemiah, and by the way, uh, how many of you were with us in Jerusalem? Raise your hand if you came to Jerusalem. So who's ever been to Jerusalem? Raise your hand. A few of you. So if you've seen the walls there, and a few of us were just there in January. I've been a couple times. The walls of Jerusalem were in ruin, and that's where the story of Nehemiah goes. He kind of comes into the picture after the city had been under siege several times, and many of the, the gateways, uh, doorways to the city's entrance were lay in ruin. And Nehemiah saw this, and his heart was grieved and broken over this, and God called him to come in and to bring some leadership to rebuild those walls. And in the course of 52 days, Nehemiah came and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Which if you've ever looked at the walls of Jerusalem or even seen a picture, that should amaze you. Because the rocks aren't like a little rock wall we see here around New England. They are stones that are massive. And I can guarantee you, Nehemiah didn't just go in there with a fulcrum and lever and shove all the stones into place himself. He had to assemble teams and do a lot of work. But these walls that laid in ruin of God's holy city and of God's people, the Lord burdened his heart and Nehemiah put together an amazing strategy and a plan. He foresaw what it could be. And if you go to Jerusalem today, you can see parts of the wall that you can tell have been destroyed and rebuilt. They're done very nicely, but you can see different uh, colorage in the walls and just a little bit of a different shape to them and where they jog out and go in. It's pretty amazing. But Nehemiah said in chapter uh, 1 and 2 and chapter 2 and 5, he visualized the goal of removing the great affliction and reproach of God's people by rebuilding the walls. So he visualized this. 
So this is a characteristic again, an ability to break down the major goals into smaller achievable tasks. Nehemiah accomplished a huge task of rebuilding the walls by having many groups uh, working on smaller sections. There's several gateways into the city of Jerusalem. And that's where the enemy would primarily try to breach the wall is through a gateway, right? That just makes more sense. If there's a doorway there, you try to breach that doorway. And those areas of the wall were, were in shambles. They were in ruins. So what Nehemiah did is he built several teams, several teams around the city. And he stationed them around the city. And, not, and he had such a brilliant strategy, he realized that they not only had to be rebuilding the walls, he needed also those who would watch the back of those placing the rocks and protect from an onslaught from the enemy. So he had the soldiers behind them preparing the workers to make sure that they didn't get in trouble. This was a big plan. And, and I want you to understand how significant this was that when God stepped in and intervened and brought the gifts together of leadership, administration, ruling, and organization, an amazing miracle happened in 52 days. Miracles happen and God does supernatural when you begin to understand your gifts and to use those gifts for the kingdom. God does an amazing thing. And if you looked at how bad the, the, the wall was in shambles, you would stand back and say, there ain't no way. It's too hard. But here's the beauty of what I love about the kingdom. When you discover your gifts, and you might say, well, you know what? I'm not this or I'm not that, but I'm this. These seven gifts God uses in really practical ways to do extraordinary things. It's critical that the church understand what your gifting is, how you're wired, an ability to know what resources are available and needed to reach a goal. Nehemiah requested from the king resources needed to rebuild the walls. If you're a builder, you know you need materials, right? You don't go build a house without materials. And what do you need to get materials? You need money. That was what Nehemiah was doing, right? He needed, he needed to have uh, time off from what he was doing. He needed letters of introduction from the king. He needed timber. He needed rocks. He needed a lot of materials. So he went and he pulled that all together. A, another characteristic of an administrator is a tendency to remove himself from the distracting details in order to focus on the ultimate goal. So there's this ultimate goal, but there are lots of little nuts and bolts that have to come together to accomplish that. That's why every leader needs a strong administrator. They come together and they work as one to really accomplish amazing things. That administrator was an organizer. We've got some organizers in the room, right? You love to get things organized and put together. But they have to work together. Nehemiah did not get involved in the building of the wall himself. But he removed obstacles which would hinder the workers. Such as the financial pressures. Have you ever seen a, a building stop Galen midstream because there weren't the resources there to finish it? Yeah, it happens, right? You drive by those buildings. Oh, I wonder what happened there. They ran out of money. Someone wasn't using their gift. Someone should have been working on, hey, we got to get the resources needed, not just the workers, because when the workers are working, they're going to run out of materials and they're going to need money to go get more materials. Are you with me? Are you seeing how they come together? Nehemiah, another characteristic is a... Um, a willingness to endure reaction from insiders and from outsiders or distracting details 
in order to reach the ultimate goals. Nehemiah had opposition from within and from without in his efforts to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah chapter 4, 8 through 18. You see it all throughout the scripture. How many of you have ever felt God's called you to do something or you knew you had to go and do something and all of a sudden you had opposition? Has that ever happened to anybody? Things get in the way. Just a few of you, right? Anytime, especially if you're one that's gifted in the area of leading. All hell is against you, especially if you're doing leadership for kingdom purposes, for good things. And whether it's in the church or outside of the church, Christ who's within you, if you're a leader and God's wired you to lead, you're going to be leading in the corporate world, in the business world. Whether you're the, the head mechanic or the head teacher, whatever you are, as the head, know that opposition will come against you. Both from within the camp and from without of the camp, right? All hell is against you. If you're a child of God and if you're called to make forward progress. And this is where most people lose the battle. They just say, you know what? It's too hard. I'll just sit back and just not. That's not an option. That's not an option for you. Not an option if you're a child of God. You've got to recognize those gifts and implore them. Put them into action. He had opposition. Uh, another characteristic is a, is a need for loyalty and confidence from those who are being directed to serve. Nehemiah brought a great assembly of people against the nobles and against the rulers who discouraged the people. And he required oaths of cooperation, make a commitment from the people that were building. Another characteristic, an ability to know what he should and should not delegate to others. Nehemiah delegated the work on the walls, but he retained the responsibility, he kept the responsibility of dealing with the enemies and of guarding the wall. Chapter 4, verse 13. Nehemiah had an ability to inspire and encourage workers by cheerfulness, approval, praise, and challenges. In Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1 says, Nehemiah had a cheerful spirit. He was skillful in challenging and encouraging his workers. Another characteristic was a joy and a fulfillment in seeing all the parts come together in a finished product. Nehemiah in chapter 2 and Verse 8 and 1 through, one, uh, through 18, he expressed his joy in the completed task by appointing singers and uniting the people in revival and in celebration. There's incredible strengths in the gift of leadership and administration. Major things can happen for the kingdom of God, but with every strength, there's a subsequent weakness to it, right? And knowing that that uh, many of us have a blending of gifts. I'm a, I'm a super detailed person. I drive people crazy with the details that I see. That they, they wish I didn't see. Right? If you work for me, you know that. And if you're married to me, you really know that. Uh, but I, I have this gift of, of administration. Right? The leadership part. I'm sorry, the leadership part. But I also see the details. And sometimes that's a, that's a conflict. Because... Those that are leaders need to sometimes step out of the details and let the people who have the gift of administration work on the nuts and bolts, the details of organizing things. And this happens again, professional world and business world. I want to talk to you about a couple of the weaknesses if you have this gift. Some of you right now, your wheels are turning like, you know, I think I know I, know I have this gift. I think I have this gift. Some of you are not sure. And some of you are saying, well, I don't have this, so I'm tuned out. Stop. Don't do that. Because if you don't have the gift of ruling, administration, or leadership, this, this helps you to understand how other people are wired. 
and it helps you to work with other people and recognize, you know, he's not just trying to be a, you know, a, a butthead boss everybody around, right? But he's, he or she is using the gift that God's given them. And if you don't have that, but you have the gift of serving, leaders need those that have the gift of serving. It's not that one is better than the other. Do you understand that? In God's eyes, it's, it's a level playing field. There's no, oh, this one's got, all the gifts are critical. And what's needed at that time is the gift that's needed at that time. But we've got to understand that they come together. All seven of these gifts really work well together. So here's some weaknesses if you're not careful. You can view people as human resources rather than human beings. Administrators need to know that people and materials are available to them in order to accomplish a task. But it's easy for them sometimes to overlook individual needs of workers and simply view them as resources for the job. People are not resources. They're human beings, right? Also, if you're not careful, using people to accomplish personal ambitions. When administrators have people and or resources, money, materials at their disposal uh, to accomplish group goals... It's easy to, to lose track and to divert some of these resources to accomplish personal goals or ambitions. It's not about a, a personal thing. It's about what's good for the, what's best for the good of the whole, right? The corporation, the business, or the church, if that be the case. Showing favoritism. This is another weakness for an administrator. Showing favoritism to those who appear to be more loyal. The single most important quality of an, of an administrator's is loyalty. And they need to know who's with them and who they can count on to get the job done, right? If you're the you're administrator, you got to know who's there, who's going to get the job done. They want to know where they stand and where each person works uh, for them. But at the same time, administrators have to be fair and impartial. Rewarding loyalty without favoritism is a very special challenge for administrators because the loyalty is important but we can't show the favoritism. Are you with me administrators? Hello? All right, good. Another thing that's a weakness, a characteristic weakness, taking charge of projects which were not God's direction. So what does that mean? Because you have the gift of seeing where there are these shortfalls, you, you step into an area and, and this, is, this is a huge one for me. You see something that's being mismanaged, not being run efficiently, and you want to take charge because it's your gift. You, you sit in there and you're like, oh, this, they're not, they're, they're, oh, why aren't they? And my wife has to grab my leg and say, shut up. It's not your circus, not your monkey, Craig. Stay out of it, right? But my, my natural inclination is I see something that's not being done well or shouldn't be, it could be done more efficiently. And as a leader, I want to step in there and help but that might not be my area to help in, right? So get your nose out of that business, right? Are you with me? Just because you have that gift doesn't mean that you're supposed to use that everywhere you go all the time for everything to make everything better. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> the two key words to a successful marriage. Yes, dear. She has to remind me of that a lot, but that's my wiring, right? Stay out. It's not your business. Here's another really good one. De uh, delegating too much work to others. The, the chief task of an administrator is knowing how to delegate jobs to other people. 
And it leaves administrators free to focus on overall project and to see how, how that project can come together. But if administrators delegate too much work to others and they're not sensitive to their personal needs and schedules, then workers might become resentful, feel like they're doing all the work and doing too much work. And that's not good either. So you've got to be careful. Over, here's another thing that administrators can do. They can overlook serious character flaws. Invaluable workers. So what does that mean? The primary objective, again, of administrators is to coordinate everyone's efforts to come together to see a project completed. And in the process, they may be willing to overlook uh, major character flaws or faults in, in someone's life because they see that they could be useful in helping to achieve their goals. But it's more important who we are than what we do, right? It's more important who we are, men and women of character and of, of integrity. And a leader might say, oh, well, that's okay. I know that this person has got these major character faults in their life, but that's all right. We're still going to use them. Listen, in the end, that's always going to come back and haunt you. you. You should be more concerned about that person's spiritual, mental, emotional health and well-being than you are of getting the goal accomplished. Are you, are you following? It's not about the task at hand. It's about that person. And that's how God uses administrators if you do it right. But again, with every strength, there's a, a subsequent weakness. Sometimes another weakness is being unresponsive to suggestions and appeals. Administrators have the ability to withstand a lot of reaction in order, in order to get the job done. Because administrators are task-driven, right? I see what needs to be done. I see the goals. I know where we're headed. They can, they can carry this sometimes too far and become... Um, close to what might be valid suggestions and complaints of those who are working with them. So administrators, listen, pay attention. You might not always know what's best. And God's put other people around you to help carry that load and to help to see things. So we've got we've to be open to suggestions. Sometimes they fail to give proper explanation and praise to workers. Workers want to feel that they're a part of the overall project by learning how their job fits into the final goal by receiving what we would call proper praise and encouragement as the work is being done. There's a biblical example also I want to give you in Acts chapter 6. There were some widows that were overlooked. That's, a, that's what we would call an administrative problem, right? Some widows being overlooked. There are things sometimes in this church that get overlooked. We miss them. That's an administrative problem. Seven men were chosen to straighten out the problem, but God didn't expect the apostles to take care of this problem. He gave others the ability to meet this need. The apostles could have gotten very bogged down in trying to meet everybody's need. Instead, they kept their focus on the big picture, which is the entire mission of the church. Big picture stuff. God never intends for a pastor or a leader to meet certain needs when it keeps him from prayer, from the word, from preaching, and from teaching. Again, that I use pastor there specifically because as I've been refreshing on the book of Nehemiah, preparing for this message, it's reminded me of what it is is my calling and what God's wired me to do. Part of, part of my problem, I'll just be real transparent with you, is th that, that I, I am a leader, but I'm also, like I said earlier, I get bogged down sometimes in the details because I see all the details. And then I get in and I try to fix that. And sometimes that's not my business to fix that. But there needs to be somebody else to be the organizer, the administrator, right? And this is the beauty of how the kingdom of God works. And it doesn't work that way just inside the church. It works that way inside of you as you are imploring your gifts outside of the four walls of the church. 
You follow? And, and when you bring that to the world and you learn and understand how this operates and works together, that's what transforms the world in which you live. Part of the problem is half the time the church ain't working right. Amen. Right? So the church has got to work right. That's me and you understanding our function, our gifting, and not just understanding and knowing it, but developing it and using it. You are not created by God to sit here and to warm a chair week after week in this congregation, in this building. Hello? Awful quiet in here. I love you. But it's important for you to understand what your gift is and how you're supposed to use it. And we have so many functions just inside this church, but it goes way beyond just these four walls, right? We have a... Um, we have a mentality in New England, Pastor Wayne, you would know this, but there's a mentality in New England, Maine, Vermont, and New Hampshire, the top three most unchurched states in the nation. Not only are they the top most unchurched, my, my understanding, the latest Barner research said we have the smallest churches in the nation of those that do exist, under 80 people. Six window churches is what we call them. If you drive to an old New England town, you'll see a white church right in the center of town. It used to be the central hub of the community. It's got three beautiful windows on one side of the building, three on the other, and that is the church right there, that one little box. But the way New Englanders perceive the church to be is that it's one man who does all the work. God brings us a pastor and he preaches, he teaches, he visits, he does this, he does that, he cleans, he does all the work. And that mindset is a very limited, small, narrow-minded mindset that doesn't allow a church to grow. But many pastors have taken it on as, oh, that's, that's, that's what I'm called to do. No, you're called to equip the saints for works of service, right? Equip the saints. But the saints have to do what God's called them to do. That's why this series is critical for you to understand what your gifts are. Keep in mind that the administrative gift is necessary on every level of business, on every level of church structure. God needs good organizers throughout the body. In every form of Christian service or activity, organizational gifts are essential. They're huge. I function better in my kitchen after my 12-year-old's my been in there organizing the cupboards because he's got that gift of organization. Right, a 13-year-old, sorry. It, and, and that's kind of his gifts. He'll come in and he'll get all the cupboards organized. And, the, and, and it's great. But we don't all do that. We don't all have that gift because I've got an artsy 16-year-old young lady that just things go everywhere. She's different. But organization is critical at every level of life to function, so we need those people. Remember, the ark wasn't built overnight, right? The ark wasn't built when it started to rain. Oh dear, we better build a boat, right? No. It was done with incredible forethought, with planning, with scheduling, and lots of, lots of strategic planning. I'm running out of time, so let me wrap up with the example of Jesus. First of all and foremost, the greatest leader of all times, Mark chapter 3. Jesus organized his strategy in training 12 men that would train others to carry his message around the world. And today, some 2,000 years later, we continue to be impacted by those 12 men who had a mission given to them by God to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples the law of multiplication. And today, you and I are here because 12 men got it and they did their jobs. They got it, they did their job. I love how Bill Belichick coaches, do your job. You got a job to do, get out there and do your job. The greatest mission that we've been given is going to make disciples. 
Love God, love others, go and make disciples. It's very simple. And Jesus gives us the greatest example of all. Jesus organized a crowd so that it could easily feed 5,000 people with minimum confusion in Mark chapter 6. How did he do that? I don't know. Sometimes we thank God for Mark and, and Lori. They, they organize serving communion here. Sometimes I go, oh, how are we going to serve first service, second service, get everything ready and, and get, you know, 400 people that, hey, they got it. They're organized at it. And I don't bother with the details. I don't know how they do it. But you guys do a great job with a lot of help, extra help with a great team. Jesus organized his disciples two by two in sending them on a mission and on assignments. Leadership has got to include... And I'm going to give you these, I think, real quickly. Never getting too far ahead of the followers. But remaining in front, directing others. Generating a confidence that they know where they're going and what the next step is to get there. It also includes relaxation along the way. The best leaders know what has to be done. They know they cannot do it all themselves. They have to relax. That's something that I'm still learning. Um, we're all growing, right? We're a work in process. Number four, developing skills in delegating and transferring responsibilities to others. Good leaders never manipulate or intimidate their team members. They motivate them. They transfer responsibility to others. And then letting go so progress can be made. That's another tough one with leaders, right? If a leader or a pastor, etc., tries to meet every individual need himself, the church cannot grow, the organization cannot grow, He'll stifle spiritual progress. A leader at your work will stifle growth. If the leader is smart, he'll train others to give the individual attention that's needed to different areas and in the church to the flock. So we have some amazing things going on here. And this is not a perfect church, but I, I need to just give attention to the fact that this church has been so good at allowing um, small group, what we call shepherds, their pastors in their small groups, pastor their people. And not getting offended and upset and uptight with me if I'm not there. And I don't know. Because half the time, I don't even know what's going on. But needs are, needs are being met. Needs are happening. And they're being met in the context of a small group where there are pastors and shepherds and people with that calling shepherding the flock. And that's how church grows strong, folks. That's just a little plug. If you're not in a small group this fall, you should be definitely praying about and finding a way to get into a small group. Remember, leaders were never meant to do all the many detailed ministries and services within the church. People or pastors who attempt this, they end up frustrated, exhausted, and emotionally drained. We've seen that in the church world. We've seen that in the business world. People who expect that of a pastor or even of your boss at work, if you expect that, You'll never be a part of a dynamic, vibrant, healthy, growing organization. You've got to allow leaders to be the leaders, but to not do everything, to not be there for everyone. It can't happen. Mature leaders will visualize long-range goals that God has given for the particular local church or organization, and they'll train others to fulfill those goals and needs that will arise and enjoy coaching a healthy team. It's great to be able to coach a healthy team. I'm going to give you seven quick snares from Nehemiah as we wrap up from the devil that you need to overcome to enjoy this victory. Uh, I'm not going to give you all the references just for the sake of time, but an unwarming welcome to do the will of God. Sometimes it's not welcomed. You feel God's called you to do something, 
and somebody else may not agree. They may not like that, and it might not be such a warm welcome. You have to endure ridicule, slander, and opposition. You will face that as a leader. Ridicule, slander, opposition, and if you don't put your, your big boy undies on, you're, you're going to be tempted to say, ah, it's too hard. I give up, right? You got to be careful not to focus on the past. You have to overcome fear of failure. Administrators, leaders, you have to be willing to deal with the growing pains from within. Because God's growing you inside, right? And anybody who is a leader is a learner. We have to be growing. You have to overcome. And Nehemiah 6 tells us about the temptation to quit. When things get hard as a leader, man, it can be tempting to say, nah, I quit. You have to overcome doubting that God can really do it. So how do you overcome these fiery darts? Here's four things in closing. Number one, these are both, number one and number two are found in Nehemiah chapter one, verse six. Through prayer and fasting. Last night we had a wonderful time of prayer here, by the way. And if you missed it, we're gonna do it every Saturday night and I encourage you not to miss it. And if you come once, you probably won't wanna miss another one, but be here at least once a month because some things happen only through prayer and fasting. And we're a church that cannot neglect corporate prayer. And we haven't had, we've done Sunday morning, but we haven't had that special time. Um, and, and that's so critical. And, and leaders say, oh, you want to have the smallest service of the week? Hold a prayer meeting. No one will come. Well, we had a great crew out last night. Thank you, those of you that came and prayed and fasting. Uh, fasting as well goes along with that. Number two, personal cleansing. Here's how you overcome the fiery darts. Put that scripture up there for me. Nehemiah chapter one, verse six, would you? Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. This is Nehemiah crying out. That I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. The first thing we do is personal cleansing. How do we overcome where we've been? Leaders, administrators, organizers, any person of faith here today, you start with prayer and fasting, you overcome those fiery darts, you go into personal cleansing, faithfulness daily, Nehemiah chapter two, verse one, and strength ultimately from God, Nehemiah chapter six, verse nine. Put that last scripture up there for me, guys, would you? For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So the beauty of the story of Nehemiah, and again, I encourage you, we tell you all the time that we can't possibly get into everything there is in one of these um, gifts that we teach on it, but you need to go home and study Nehemiah, especially if you feel God's called you into the gift of, of ruling, leadership, administration, and young people, young people too. Hear this. Some of you are beginning to, to, to understand. Oh, maybe I'm gifted in this. And no one ever really told me that. And I didn't understand. I didn't know it. Some of this you've got to go after for yourself. I encourage parents who see certain gifts in your kids to help them to develop those gifts and see it's a gift from God. It's a beautiful thing. Use that gifts. And, and I love this church because we, we don't shy away from these things with our children and teach them these very same principles. So the wall was finished and God got all the glory. Nehemiah 6.15. The wall was rebuilt in record time. 52 days. Look it up. 52 days. How do you possibly accomplish that task? If you had seen all these gates that were in ruin, you accomplish it with the right gifts and the right people who say, I've got a gift and I'll use it. The gift of 
serving, the gift of leadership and administration. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I, don't, I, I pray that you won't leave here and, and, uh, and not do something with what you feel God is challenging you with. Because every time the word is preached, I believe the Holy Spirit is alive and he's active and he's challenging you. Amen. And he wants to use you. And I'll tell you, there's, there's no greater sense of fulfillment in my life and in your life than when you're operating your gifts. When you understand what they are and then when you operate in those gifts, and then the beauty of that is God continues to bring increase. Be faithful in the little things, right? Be faithful in the little things where God's called you and organizing. And maybe it's in a small company that you don't think is going anywhere, but you know what? You have that gift. You do what God's called you to do, and you watch and see what God will do in you and through you. Not just for the corporation, but for you and for the kingdom of God. It's about building his kingdom, amen? And he is building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail. We've got to answer the call and say, yes, this is my gift. I want to develop it and use it. Let's close in prayer. Would you bow your heads and your hearts before the Lord this morning? God, we thank you so much for the amazing gifts that you have given to us, your people, from your Holy Spirit. Each one of us, Lord, such a diversity of gifts that are represented even in this, in this crowd this morning that you're raising us up to use us to build your kingdom. I pray for your blessings and your favor upon each and every man and woman and young person in this place. I pray, Lord, that we would, uh, especially those who are maybe learning that maybe I have that gift for the first time, learn to use that gift for your glory. And those that are still in the process of, of discovering that you would reveal to them what it, what it is that their gift is and how they can use it for your kingdom. God bless your people as we go throughout our week in our separate ways. And we thank you for it. Help us to honor you in everything that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name.